good to see. I want to say um, welcome also to those of you who are in the chapel or the warehouse or in one of the campuses. We're glad that you guys are along live this morning, uh, as well as on the internet, around the world, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And I want to say to all the mothers, happy Mother's Day. And in fact, here's what I thought we should do. I know this is kind of corny, but let's do it anyway. Um, if, you're, uh, um, if your mother is here, uh, w- would you kind of give it up for them, like in one of the biggest, like, applauds and cheers <laughs> campuses, too? Would you do that? All right. Okay. All right. And, uh, and that was really, really weak. That was very, very weak. So we're going to give you one more chance at it. All right, you ready? All right, let's go. Let's give it up. All right. Yeah. Woo. Okay. All right. That's not the last cheesy thing I'll do. Uh, Because I'm nervous today. Uh, This is always intimidating to me. I love this day. I love speaking to you in a sense on this day. But usually what you need to understand is um, when I... um, when I do a message, it's kind of like, um, you know, people, sometimes people will ask me, how, how do you know, how does it relate to, you know, like where we live and all this kind of stuff? And really it's pretty simple because I'm one of you, you know what I mean? The, and the condition of, the human condition has been the same for thousands of years and you just apply the word to it. But I have never been a mother, you know, and, uh, and so there are a lot of things I really don't know. And so let me, let me just emphasize that up front. Uh, I so appreciate uh, the role and the gift of mothers, but uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll try to relate to you in the best way that I possibly can. I was raised by a world-class mom. You know, we probably, many of us could say that, most of us could say that. I really do believe that. It was the desire of my mother's heart uh, was to be a mother, uh, and she did a great job of it. She put up with my dad for how many ever years that they were married until she went home to be with the Lord. And uh, now dad's a good guy. He's just a little high maintenance, you know. And, and, uh, and then she also uh, poured into us, and she was incredible. And then I married um, just a, a, a lady that that was the desire of her heart. She told me early on, I want to be a mother. And uh, God blessed our home with four children. And um, they'll tell you, she has been... Absolutely incredible. She just, she just really is balanced, putting up with me. I'm a little high maintenance sometimes. And um, starting this church and uh, caring for you guys and loving uh, her children. And then she's produced some wonderful daughters. And now I have uh, two uh, uh, daughter-in-laws who I consider my daughters also. And uh, again, um, just incredible, incredible ladies. I've, I've told each one of them that uh, I so admire how they relate to their kids, so much beyond anything that, that I could have done. And I'm not being humble with that. I just, it just seems to, they, they seem to do so well. And some of it comes naturally, some of it's worked really, really hard on. So anyway, that's kind of my background and experience uh, with moms. That's about all I know. Uh, but uh, so let me give you a couple of mom quotes to get started. Somebody said, the happiest families are those in which the children are properly spaced about 10 feet apart. How many of you would agree with that? (laughs) I think that was funny. Um, I really did. And I so agree with it too. Um, Somebody said all of us have moments uh, in our lives that test our courage. Uh, Taking children into a house with white carpet is one of them. 
It was Irma Bombeck. She's always good. Most children threaten at times to run away from home, and uh, this is the only thing that keeps some parents going. How have you, how have you know that? <laughs> Just one more. Yeah, it's not easy being a mother. How have you agree with that? Um, if it were easy, fathers would do it, right? <laughs> well, today we want to we want to honor mothers I, unabashedly. I'm directing this whole sermon at moms. At, uh, Fathers, sons, daughters, if you don't get anything out of it, it's okay. It's all right. Give one to mom this week. Um, you know, Mother's Day is not a biblical holiday. It's really not. You know, somebody says, well, we're, you know, we, we ought to stick to the, the Bible on these things. And, and we do. We try to apply the Bible to everyday culture. Uh, but it's not a biblical holiday. In fact, it's a fairly recent holiday, 1908. A lady named Anna Jarvis started it as a memorial uh, for her mother, and she lobbied real hard. I guess she was politically collect- connected, and she lobbied real hard until 1914. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson uh, made it a national holiday. Now, here's what's interesting. Nine years after that first official United States Mother's Day, um, the commercialization of the holiday became so rampant that the, the creator, Anna Jarvis herself, became a major uh, opponent of what the holiday had become. She spent all of her inheritance, the rest of her life, fighting what she saw as an abuse of the celebration. In fact, um, it, it made her so mad that um, it, she criticized this the, the the habit or the kind of the 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 uh, practice of purchasing greeting cards. And I, as I was researching it, I thought it was interesting. She didn't like the greeting cards because she said it was a sign of being too lazy to write a personal letter. Now, how many of you know what a person, do you remember personal letters? Do you remember what those were? Yeah, well, in fact, this lady went to jail. She was arrested in 1948 for disturbing the peace while protesting the commercialization of Mother's Day. And, you know, I don't care. You know, I mean, I, I know that, you know, Hallmark is probably the ones that make the most off of this other than restaurants. You try to get, hope you have your reservation already because uh, they're, they're full. But it's great, I think, to set aside a day and just to celebrate, celebrate our moms and uh, so here's, here's what we're doing. We're in a series we're calling Love Is, and we've been tracking along. I think this is the sixth week. We're just going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? Where do you find it? What does it mean? And um, so I'm supposed to do verse 6, but as I read verse 6, I thought verse 7 is a lot better about moms. In fact, it really defines motherhood. So I'm sure Paul got him out of order. I'm just honest. I, I think that probably he would have had verse 7 before verse 6 because that's what Seacoast is going to do. So verse 6 is next week. And because I'm the senior pastor, verse 7 <laughs> is this week. So if you have your outline sheet or a Bible uh, or a PDA, whatever that you uh, look at the scriptures with, why don't you take a look right now in the campuses, on the internet, wherever you are, take a look and let's read out loud 1 Corinthians 13.7, because we're going to come back to this over and over and over again today. Let's read it out loud. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. As I read that, I thought, that's the definition of a mother. It really is. Um, and, and we could probably stand up and give testimonies on that all morning. But it's also the definition of what a mother needs most. What a mother needs most. And so for the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to define uh, three times 
in life, in a mom's life, when she needs enduring love. When she needs 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. Three times in her life when she needs that. Let me give you the first one. Moms, you need enduring love. You need 1 Corinthians 13, 7. When you're tempted to give up on yourself. When you're tempted to give up on yourself. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel like you don't fit the mold of uh, motherhood, in fact, some of you, it's a difficult day. For, I, I recognize that this day is difficult for a lot of different uh, uh, mothers in certain situations. I'll try to address some of those. But um, you, you look around and you go, I don't know that I fit the mold. You don't measure up. You know, moms are uh, supposed to have a career and do well, but they're also supposed to homeschool their kids. They're supposed to have a garden that you can eat fresh produce from. And, uh, and they're supposed to be able to do crafts like Martha Stewart, keep a spotless house, and have the coolest board on Pinterest. You know, that's just, that's just what a mom is supposed to be. And you say, you know, somebody said, I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising my kids. Can you relate to that? Well, one size mom certainly doesn't fit all moms. There, there isn't one size. There's, there's not a mold. Some are stay-at-home moms, and they do really well with that. That's their goal. That's their desire. Uh, they make sacrifices, God provides, and, uh, and, and that's who they're called to be. Other moms manage a career as well as managing their home and their children, and uh, that, that's incredible. Uh, some moms love homeschooling their kids. I mean, that's, that's, it's, they feel like this is what I'm made for. They love doing it. Other moms thank God daily for the public school system. The happiest moment of your day is when the school bus pulls away. <laughs> Some moms are, um, are girly girls, you know. They just, they like the frills and, and, and the stuff. And, and other moms are more comfortable with a little dirt between her fingernails. Uh, some are high maintenance. And some ter- take very, very little to make them cared for. God's mold for moms comes in all shapes and sizes. But sometimes you feel like you don't measure up. Sometimes you want to quit or give up because of the way that you feel. Uh, Sometimes you feel bad about something that should bring you joy, and then you feel guilty. Let me give you an example. Over the years here, I've um, had the privilege to interact with several moms who, uh, upon having a child, which ought to be, you know, the the most joyous occasion that there is, and it really is, but they find themselves feeling uh, blue and discouraged, and some people call it postpartum. Uh, depression, and, and, and as, as bad as that is, they begin to beat up on themselves because of feeling that I shouldn't feel this way, and they, maybe I'm not created to be, to, be a, to be a mother. You just want to give up. Maybe it's when you realize that um, you love this child, but you really can't stand her. Anybody, uh, <laughs> don't raise your hand on this stuff, okay, at all. I'm just trying to go there a little bit for you, all right? kind of bring it out. You know, you've got, you, you know, you know, she whines, she cries, he does. Maybe he's just rotten, you know. I mean, he'll be okay after a while. They'll be all right. But you're having a real hard time dealing with it. Somebody said the hand that rocks the cradle is usually attached to someone who isn't getting enough sleep. How have you know, how have you know that? And you've got that one child. Others, you know, you did all the stuff in the books and they slept all night. And this one, it doesn't matter what goes on. And you're conflicted with the feelings that you have. Maybe it's the day that you feel totally inadequate. The day you can't get a shower and the house is a mess and your husband comes home and says, what's for dinner? And so you tell him. And 
And he says, what I meant to say is, uh, uh, where, where would you like me to take you for dinner, you know? Or it's when you lose it, when you get mad, when you say things that you know that you shouldn't. Or, or when you don't like the way that you look. You look at other moms and they seem to have, you know, lost the weight from the child or whatever and you feel like that you haven't or it's something that you, that's bothered you all of your life and, and, you, and, and you just feel bad about it. God, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe I'm not meant to be a mom. Now suffer me on this just for a minute. I want to make a point here and it's not a very good one, but I want to do it. Um, one of our daughter's girlfriends, or boyfriends, boyfriends, God rest his soul. Um, one day for like a birthday or something or Christmas, gave her a kitten. And, um, and then she uh, graduated from school and left the kitten at, at our house. And so the kitten became ours. And there are nice cats. And the main thing that I don't like about cats is I'm allergic to them. It's not really a personal thing. But th- with this cat, it was a personal thing. It really was because... <laughs> I didn't like the boyfriend, now I've got the cat, and the cat just is totally antisocial, um, is nasty, mean, and just a worthless individual. And, and it was a male cat. In fact, it was a male for like five years. And then and we started noticing this male getting a little, little big, and so one of our friends came over and said, your male is gonna have uh, kittens, and I said, that's not possible. And they said, no, it's not a male. And so, and so here's what I thought. I thought this is going to be, this is going to be a disaster because this, this cat is just a, it's just a terrible individual and it will never be a good mother. And so I watched with interest as those kittens were born and, and an amazing thing happened. An absolutely amazing thing. This, this antisocial, worthless cat suddenly had these instincts that were incredible. And I thought, wow. I, I watched as she nurtured her kittens. And as she, she, I mean, she was mom. She preferred them over her own deal. She even liked me for just a few weeks. It was incredible. It was incredible. And here was the observation that I made, is that in spite of herself, that God created her with certain instincts. He put the special sauce inside of her that she was a mother. I know that's a terrible illustration. Forgive me for it up front. That's all I can think of. <laughs> Moms, you may be struggling with stuff. And you may be wondering if, if God made, made a mistake using you in the way that he has. And he hasn't. He hasn't. God put it in you. Someone said the moment a child is born, the mother is born. She never existed before. The woman existed, but the mother never. A mother is something absolutely new. And I want to tell you this, God's cheering you on. He has a vested interest in your success. In fact, in 1 John 4, 16, it says, we know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in God, or live in love, live in God, and God lives in them. And then we come back to our, kind of our text for today, 1 Corinthians 4. 13.7, with the idea that God is love, it says, love never gives up. You could insert in there, God never gives up. 
Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every situation. God never gives up. He never loses faith. He's always hopeful. He endures through anything on your behalf. You say, but I'm not God. No, but you can live like him. If you looked at the verses that were kind of the, at the beginning and the end of the verse in 1 John that I read, they say this, all who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them. Now just think about that. I mean, we just blow through those kind of verses. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in him, and they live in God. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment when we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. God lives in you. You're growing every day in love. Mom, when you feel down on yourself for anything, Maybe you don't like what you see in the mirror. Maybe you, you feel like the, you know, the, the, the kids aren't responding in the way that they should, whatever it happens to be. You need to know that God has equipped you for the task. If you're a believer, you, know, you need to know that his spirit lives in you. And because he's in you, your love is growing stronger every day. And you can look at yourself and you can speak the words of 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. So when you feel like giving up on yourself, you need to know that God's in your corner. God created you and he lives inside of you and his love is growing every day, more and more like Jesus inside of you. Let me give you a second time in your life when you need to know uh, about that type of love that's enduring and that's when you're tempted to give up on your kids. Tempted to give up on your kids. I always... Uh, I always think about my mom on Mother's Day and especially on her birthday. My mom went to be with the Lord 21 years ago. And uh, she was 54 years old. Way too young. There are days, these, these days, I wish that she could see this, that, and the other. You, you know all the stuff. Many of you have lost a mother. But I remember 21 years ago, uh, on this day, um, I did something that Debbie and I very seldom got the opportunity to do. And that's to surprise her. Because uh, my dad was a pastor, and because I'm a pastor, I've been pastoring for a significant amount of time now, you just don't leave on Mother's Day. You know, I mean, you, Mother's Day is one of the days that you celebrate together with the, with the church. And so um, I never got to spend a Mother's Day with my mom probably after I uh, left college and, and uh, started working in ministry. And I knew mom was getting sick. I didn't know how bad it was exactly. And I decided, I just got a hunch from the Lord, why don't you just take off and, and go spend Mom's Day? You haven't done it in years and years and years with your mom. And so I packed the kids in the car, Debbie and I did, and we drove down to uh, Houston, Texas, where Mom and Dad lived, and we, we surprised them. And it was one of the best weekends of my life, one of the best weekends of my life. I'll, I'll never forget the time that we spent together. And, um, and then we came home, and just about... Two or three months later, mom went to be uh, with, with the Lord. Um, over the years, since that time, there have been many times I've thought about mom, especially around Mother's Day, and uh, I, I don't care what anybody else says, or you do care, but regardless of what anybody else says, guys, I don't care how, how old you get, um, you, you want to know that mom's proud of you. You just do. That's just something that's inside. And I, I, I'm sure that mom is proud of me now. I know that she is. 
But I wonder how she felt sometimes. You know, I never thought about, at the time, what I was putting my mother through. I mean, when I went through the typical teenage rebellion stuff, didn't even think about mom, but I wondered in the years since, especially as I sat down to write a book and included a chapter about her, I wondered how, how she felt at the, in, in those times. I wondered how she felt when, when I got kicked out of Bible school. Not a thing usually you're real proud of, of your son. Yes, my son went to Bible school and got kicked out within three months. Uh, you know, that's just not... I, 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 wondered, I wondered how she felt when there was a point in my life when I drifted in and out of jobs in Denver, and uh, my mom was living in Missouri at the time, and I, I wondered about conversations. What, what does your son do, Mrs. Surratt? You know, and moms always want to puff up their chest and kind of, you know, exaggerate just a little bit about what their sons do. And she couldn't exaggerate much. He works a few weeks until he earns enough money to ski, and then he goes and he skis. And uh, <laughs> God doesn't really seem to be on his radar right now. And I know that had to crush her heart, because the only thing, the biggest thing that mom wanted for us kids was that we know God and that we serve him. And then I remember as an adult when I carelessly one day spoke some words that wounded her soul. I wonder how she felt. Well, I know this. I know her love never gave up. I know that. My most, one of my most prized possessions these days is her Bible. This is, this is it right here. And uh, this week I thumbed through it a little bit a couple of times again, just looking at what mom valued. Mom was one who scribbled in her Bible, you know, she was one who said, if you can't write in your Bible, go get you a cheap one that you can. And um, she, she wrote, she underlined, she circled, and um, she had a, interesting enough, she had a, a, a what do they call this, a, a bookmark, and it's a leather bookmark, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 13, it says, and now abides faith, hope, and love in these three, but the greatest of these is love. And the scripture that it marked was Isaiah 40, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And then in the margin, she wrote, they that wait upon the Lord, and she has exclamation point, exclamation point. And I wonder if one of those points were for me. Um, she she uh, circled promises that related to her children. She has, um, evidently highlighters weren't big then. I, I went through it and I found three places with the yellow highlighter because she's written all through it. But three places with a yellow highlighter. One of them was the entire chapter of Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman. One was uh, where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's a scripture that burns so deeply in me all the time. And I, this week I saw why. Because that's something that burned deeply in her and no doubt she passed it on. And then the other scripture is that uh, where your heart is, there's where your, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is will be also. Well, moms, you may find yourself in a difficult season right now. You may wonder with your kids if they'll ever grow up. You know, when they're little bitty, you don't want them to grow up, but there comes a time in their life where you go, would you please grow up? With girls, it happens at about 20. With guys, they start to mature at about 50. 
You may be agonizing over the choices that they're making right now. You may be concerned with their spiritual health. You know, in the words of the great theologian Yogi Berra, it's not over till it's over. The final chapter hasn't been written. I, as I was thinking about this, this point of uh, moms really needing this enduring love when it relates to difficult times with your kids, um, I thought about biblical mothers. Who can I learn from? And I thought of three of them. And one, one was Zacchaeus' mom. You remember who Zacchaeus was? Zacchaeus was this short little crook. He was a tax collector. He's a guy that heard Jesus. He climbed up in a tree so he could see it. His story is found in Luke 19 and in various other places in the New Testament. But um, we just breeze by tax collector. Mrs. Zacchaeus' mother, we don't know hardly anything about her. I just thought about her a little bit. When her friends would say, what does your son do for a living? How could she even blurt out tax collector? I mean, we make fun and we say, well, that's like an IRS agent today. It wasn't anything like an IRS agent. Tax collector was probably one of the most vile professions that you could be in. You, you were Jewish, but you were considered to be a traitor to the Roman people. Uh, you were a cheat. Uh, in fact, if we were going to say today something that might uh, be the equivalent, it would be to say that your son is a sex trafficker. You say, how can you say that? I mean, how, how can you make that? Well, his, his sin was very public. Everyone knew. In fact, in Luke 19, when Jesus called him out of a tree and he said, I want to go and I want to eat with you, in verse 7 it says this, but the people were displeased. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Not just a sinner, not just a guy that people, some people didn't like. They said, he was a notorious sinner. How did his mom feel about that? You know, her sorrow and her shame had to have been immense, but Zacchaeus, the short little crook, has an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And when it does, Zacchaeus comes out to the crowd who surrounded his house at that point. And he stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated on people and their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Think about that, moms. The son of man, Jesus said, I have come not for the popular. I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Mom, you, you, your son or daughter may be a notorious sinner. I don't know. It's, it, it's possible that, that they have gone so far that you wonder, could, could anything really happen? I want to challenge you, don't underestimate the power of God to restore. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. I think about Samson's mom. You know Samson, the guy who had everything. You know, he's good looks and hair and strength and power, and most of all, he had potential. As he's growing up, little Samson, he's gonna be something. God spoke to us, he's gonna use us. We're gonna raise him in a different way. People said, wow, he, it must be something to be the mother of such, such a unique young man. God's gonna use him someday, he has such potential. 
And as you read the story of Samson, time after time, he comes so close to greatness. But he has a sex addiction. And that sex addiction ultimately destroys his life. You know the story, his eyes are put out, uh, his strength is taken away, he's given a job that an animal normally would do. In fact, he becomes the laughing stock of the Philistine people who are kind of dominating Israel of, of the day. I can imagine people coming up to Samson's mom and saying, aren't you the mom of that guy that everybody laughs at, that guy that had so much potential, but he never achieved it. Now he's just a joke. Philistines throw a, throw a party one day. The Bible says 3,000 of them get drunk. And they, they, they say, bring Samson out. We want him to entertain us so that we can laugh at him. And then in Judges chapter 16, it says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. He returned to the God. He said, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. He comes to his senses. And as the last act of his life, he destroys more of the enemies of God than in his entire lifetime. Moms, I, I don't think that it has to be the last act by any means. But maybe you have a child who has had great potential. And but that potential was never fulfilled and maybe it's an addiction of some type. I want to challenge you. Don't give up. Never underestimate the power of God to restore. I thought of one more in the New Testament. His name was Saul. And uh, Saul was this guy that was zealous, but he was zealous for the wrong cause. And uh, ultimately, he would chase down Christians. And in fact, one of the most popular Christians of the early church uh, was a guy named Stephen, who uh, Paul evidently was in charge of a whole group of that were given mob justice, and they stoned this guy to death, and they laid their coats, it said, and their shields at Paul's feet or Saul's feet, and somehow he was responsible for that. Can you imagine if his mother meets Stephen's mother meets Paul's mother and says, "Is your son the one that killed mine?" What shame there must have been! But he has a life encountering. Uh, uh, encounter with Jesus. And he ultimately becomes the leader of the church. It'd be like the head of the Taliban these days becoming the Pope. It was an incredible thing. Mom, don't ever underestimate the power of God to restore. That one who was an enemy of God became the one who wrote most of the Bible that my mother read, the New Testament part at least. Mom, when you're you're tempted to give up on your kids, remember the power of God to restore. But a mother would say to me, it's too late. You know, I wish that they would have heard a message like this, but they're already gone. And there's just something inside that anytime a preacher talks about heaven or the life hereafter, they think about their kids and the possibility that they're not there. You know, my dad used to preach when I was a kid about two surprises that there'll be in heaven. The first one are the people who aren't there that you thought would be. (laughs) And the second one are the people that are there that you thought wouldn't be. See, um, God so loved your son or daughter that he sent his son so that none would perish, 
The Bible says that the Spirit of God strives with a man's spirit until the very last moment. We have no idea what goes on in that last moment. But I do know this, that God does whatever it takes. That God cares and that God loves. So leave it with God and don't ever underestimate the power of God to restore. See, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your kids. Let me give you one more time when you need enduring love, and that's when you're tempted to give up on your God, to give up on your God. Most of us go through times in our lives when we have a crisis of faith. When something happens and we say, God, are you there? God, where are you? And if you are there, do you really care? When are you most tempted to give up on God? It's when you've prayed and it doesn't change anything. You know, maybe you wanted a child so bad and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed, or maybe it's even the adoption process and it seems so slow. How many of you have ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Anybody here ever been that way? Or you're praying for that wayward child or you're frustrated with God's inactivity and you wonder where is he? Or maybe you're confused by what God has allowed when a loved one dies too soon, especially a child. A mother told me this week, let me tell you, when a, when a child dies too soon is any time they die before the mother does. And the heartache and the grief, I've gone through that with people here. When someone else's actions deal a devastating blow to your life or the life of your kids and you say, where are you, God? Do you even see? Do you even care? Can I tell you one more story before I close this message? This is a story of a mother in the Old Testament and her name is Hagar. You remember Hagar? Hagar, uh, let's go back and talk about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, of course, called by God to establish a nation. And God makes a promise to he and his wife in their old age that they would have a child. That Through that child, that uh, a nation would be established. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And there's no child, and they're getting older. And finally, Sarah says to uh, Abraham, I want you to take my handmaiden, my, my, the servant girl that waits on me. They were very, very wealthy, and so they had house staff. And, and her name was Hagar, and uh, many believe that she was actually the daughter of Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler. I don't know if you remember the story. I don't have time to really go through a lot of it, but Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt, and Pharaoh sees Sarah as being beautiful and this, this wonderful woman, and she, he wants to have her for his harem, and Abraham lies and says it's his sister instead of his wife, and so she comes into the harem, and and, uh, and, and at the last moment, she reveals to Pharaoh that she actually is married, and Pharaoh, you know, really chews out Abraham. Why didn't, why didn't you tell me I could have sinned? And, and he doesn't. But people think that, that he thought so much of Sarah that he said, here is one of my daughters. I, I want her to go and learn from you and to be with you. And that was Hagar. So Abraham, Sarah says to Abraham, here, take my maidservant and why don't you make her your second wife and you can have the child and that will be the heir to the promise. Now, just rule of thumb, uh, in the Old Testament, um, God allowed for polygamy, uh, but um, anytime you see a, because of the hardness of people's hearts, but anytime you see uh, one man marrying more than one woman, it doesn't end well. So don't even think about that. I know there's a show on TV all about that, but don't, don't think about it. So anyway, so so Hagar, uh, she has no choice. She has to do what her, her boss, Sarah, asks, and she becomes pregnant with 
Abraham, and she's young, and she gets an attitude about it. She says things that she shouldn't say. Sarah gets mad at Abe. Typically, for a guy, he's clueless. He does not know what to do. And so he says, do what you want to with her. Sarah mistreats her. Hagar runs away. We find her crying and alone in a wilderness place. And she's crying out to God, I didn't deserve this. I didn't do this. I'm pregnant. I may die. My child may die. Where are you, God? I was following you. Where are you? It says that an angel of the Lord shows up. It says, God has heard your cries of distress. He sees you. Name your son Ishmael. Then Hagar's response. A a few uh, weeks ago, those of you who are not in the Long Point campus or maybe who weren't here on a first Wednesday, I did a teaching, uh, just a real short one, about the names of God and how God reveals himself in the Old Testament by revealing a a different aspect of his name, various, various names of God. And in this passage of Scripture, he reveals himself in a unique way to Hagar. In fact, It says, thereafter, in Genesis 16, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, here's the name. It was Jehovah El-Roi. Say El-Roi to me. El-Roi, R-O-I, Jehovah El-Roi. And it simply meant this. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. See, mom, in your lowest moment, you need to know this. When God seems so distant, he notices and he's paying attention. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean he doesn't see you. See, I don't understand by why some things happen. I don't. But I know that God sees and I know that God cares and I know that God promises to redeem even that which is bad. So what happened to Hagar? The rest of the story. So she goes back. Things don't go well for her right away. In fact, it gets worse, and her son is born, and they're put out of the camp, and she's out on her own. But God did as he promised. And Ishmael became a nation, the Arab nations of these days. Uh, After Sarah died, Abraham married a woman named Keturah. And many Jewish scholars, not all, but many Jewish scholars believe that the woman that he married years and years and years later after Sarah died was actually Hagar that Abraham sought her out. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe. But here's what I do know. I do know that God is the king of happy endings. And I don't care where you are today, whether you're a mom or dad or son or daughter, I don't care where you are. I don't care what your story is right now. I do care. But it doesn't matter. The last chapter hasn't been written on you. The last chapter hasn't been written on your children, and I know this about God. God loves to take crucifixions and make resurrections out of them. God loves to take an ending that seems so destroyed and bring about good in it. And so today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray God's strength for you. I want to pray a love that never gives up, never loses hope always endures. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for moms that I respect so much in this place and in the various campuses. God, we know that uh, we know that uh, there are many joys in life in our children. There are also times that test us to the max. 
And today I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Today as we celebrate as families, may there be much joy. And in those pockets where there's pain and there's hurt, may we see you at work, God. May we know that you're a God who never gives up on us and never gives up on our kids. Always trusts, always is full of hope and always endures. And God, may you in us give that same spirit because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and your love is growing in us every day. So God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.